drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. All right, all right. It's episode 30 of Drive-By Cinema. I'm Rick, your host, and here's Paul, also your host. Hi, yeah, well, that makes me your co-host, doesn't it, Richard? Welcome, everybody, to this uh, non-seasonal, non-festive, non-yuletide episode number 30 of The Fabulous Drive-By Cinema. And, Richard, what are we looking at today? Or, before we say that, before we discuss that, do we have corrections to make and stuff like that? Well, I'll tell you what I'm looking at, Paul. I'm looking at your Diplodocus. I think that's the people word do. Word. People do when I'm wearing lycra, in particular. But it's got a tremendously long neck. Paul has a zoom background with an animated dinosaur, which is actually visible through your shirt because you same same color as your green screen. I think. Yeah, and and is, is hum- it a Diplodocus? Are you publicly or, humiliating me for my lack of lack of? Cinematographic ability, Richard. No, it's a wonderful background. But is it a Diplodocus? Have I got the name right? I think it is a Diplodocus. I can look at the file name if you want to. Well, the kids must know, right? They must know the dinosaur instantly. They do, unfortunately. It's a Brachiosaurus. Brachiosaurus. I'll tell you something. We do have corrections. We have a shit ton of corrections. Oh, well, do you know... (sighs) I've got a lot to make, but I can't remember them because I'm, I'm so traumatised by them. I can never remember it when the time comes. I should write them down next time. So, Richard, plough ahead and tell us what these corrections are, for crying out loud. I don't know how you want to play this, Paul, because quite, oh. quite often we humbly admit to errors that we ourselves have made. Yeah. On the other oh. hand, sometimes we pointedly point out errors that the other person has made. Yeah. So I don't. Where, where do you want me to start, there, Paul? Do you want me to be humble, or do you want me to have a go at you? I think, I think, in the interests of brevity, just have a go at me, Richard. You seemed very certain that yes. Songbird, <laughs> that Songbird was released early in 2020. You said, "Oh, you can tell. Oh, you can tell. It's it was made in March and released in April or something." Yeah. And I just nodded along. I said, "Oh yeah, yeah, probably was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul." Because I assumed that you'd done your homework, but. It was not released early in 2020. It was released late in 2020. Whoa. So where did you come up with that? I'm fully recalcitrant. It's just You just thought you knew. Are you, no, are you guessing? My inchoate comments have quite rightly been called to task. Thank you. Okay, the second thing is... <laughs> oh, no, there's more. Well, you took great pains to apologise to the people of the Sentinel Isles. Yeah. The tribe of people. Yeah. And you said two things about them. Firstly, you you claimed potentially that they were frightened of uh, of what the white man, the white man, yeah, because they had. You're quite right; they had a terrible experience. Anyone who visited yeah. them had like stolen. Are you crap about to claim reverse racism and given them terrible diseases? Because oh they've never been exposed to all the viruses and stuff that we have. No, no, they haven't. Uh, no. Not even talking about coronavirus. Long before that, yeah, the visitors would turn up, and the sentinelese would get really sick. And wind up, who knows whether they survived, who knows. But I don't think that they're frightened. That's not the impression I get. I don't think they're frightened. I think they're just badasses. Like there's a story of people running aground or crash landing or something on a nearby island. I know. And as they they watched this other island where the Sentinelese live, they were building boats to come over. Oh, they can build boats. 
They can yeah. build boats. You, you, you said they lost the power of a boat building. No, they can. They don't have well, boats. They don't need the them. velociraptors can get out the park. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just can't be asked. As soon as they see someone in trouble, they go after oh. them and, and eliminate them. They bury them on the beach. Wow! And you also said, uh, by the way, I'm an expert from reading. But it's Wikipedia. not cannibalism, is it? It's just they just they just they just kill them, bonk them on the head, and they don't eat them, which is no, strange. No, don't eat them. No, because I mean, cannibalism is. I mean, people. What we've found out is when 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 cultures get a taste for cannibalism, they cannot give it up. It's it's plainly very addictive behavior, you know. Mm, long like pick. A, there's like a MP switch there that happens in the silicon program of the brain that says, mm, "Well, yeah, we've done it now," and you know, fury hasn't descended from the heavens, and it's it's really good fun. But this is not cannibalism, is it? What they do? They, they just like to bonk people on the head with sharp implements and leave them there in the sand. Oh, they've got spears because. Because yeah. people have gone there with boats or planes or whatever, they've got bits of metal off them. Oh, wow. And they've put them on their spears and things. What I was reading in Wikipedia was, by the way, I think the last guy to go there wasn't even a white guy. He was like a local anthropologist. Yeah. So it's not white guys, they fear. It's just anybody not from the island. And he was not giving them watermelons, I read. Because I, I don't know. It's not. It wasn't recorded in the Wikipedia article whether they like watermelons. What they love is coconuts, which don't grow on the island. That's right. Yeah, it's it's coconuts, isn't it? Yeah, they right. don't grow on the island. Yeah, he was he was giving them coconuts, and when he gave them coconuts, that was the only time that they thought he thought they might be about to have a detente and you know enter into some dialogue. Because what happened was uh, he saw one of the guys with his bow out, and he pointed at them, and then one of the women, I think, of the tribe next to him rather theatrically sort of made him sort of motioned to put his bow down and he did so it was almost like a peace gesture for giving them the coconuts oh it was a trick maybe well I think the next time they went there they gave him a pig and they killed the pig and buried it on the beach like the people so they haven't been back (laughs) since (laughs) sorry wow okay so interesting people nonetheless yes there's your two Songbird is filmed in July and launched August in 2020. And the North Sentinel Island people are not frightened. They're badasses. And they don't like watermelons. They don't go there with watermelons. They like coconuts. But only some of the time. And don't go there, though. That's that's very important. Because you will die. I did make a mistake, though. Hold my hand up. I think I implied that television pictures are at 25 frames per second. Mm, which is silly. 24. That's, that's cinema, isn't it? 24 frames per second is cinema. But yeah. television, I think, is 30 frames per second, isn't it? Yeah. There was my mistake. Well, it's the same ballpark number, isn't it? Oh, and I also said it was Anna Reburn was the songbird on YouTube who sang American Pie, but it wasn't. It was Anne Reburn, not oh. Anna Reburn. Well, I'm sure we'll sleep better in our beds because of that correction today. Now, I've got one thing to say. Oh. Yeah, you you were tittering and giggling when I when I corrected myself. I had originally said American Indian, and then I changed it to Native American. And I later found out actually that the American Indians prefer to be called American Indians rather than Native Americans. So there you go. You can't really win, can you? But th- this is a lot of errors, Paul. That we're having to correct. Yes. So corrections over and done with. And yes any 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 readers any writers any viewers any listeners we're not communication time. we're going to move straight on to talk about this week's film which is oh no let's listen to the music ah phew. 
Paul, what is this week's film? Oh, God, not this test again. Whew. Do you know, I, sh- I shouldn't prepare for this exam because, I mean, it's like past papers would indicate that you're going to ask me what the name of the movie is. Look, I know this only because I've written it down. It's Sinister from 2012, and it had a budget of $3 million. Uh, it made $90 million in the box office. Therefore, I think we can quite safely call it a box office box office smash. It was directed and written by Scott Derrickson. Derrickson. Who also, Scott Derrickson, wrote the Doctor Strange movie in the Marvel Cinematic did Universe. He? Sorry, did he really? I'm building to my crescendo here. And it stars Ethan Hawke. Somebody we don't see much of these days, but we used to see a lot of. I... I think Ethan Hawke's great, isn't he? He was, I guess, he hmm. came to fame in uh, Dead Poet Society. Dead Poet Society, and I have a problem with that. Oh, well, well, yeah, because Robin's like rip up the book. Yes, that tries to that tries to give you a, a, a framework for judging poetry uh, because it's forcing your ideas, kind of thing. But it's not; it's just a recommendation. You, you know, the author's never actually said you must analyze poetry in this way. It says here's a tool that you can use if you want to, whereas. Robin Williams and his character makes everybody rip up the book, which is the opposite of three thinking, isn't it? Yes. So I didn't like that. About that. So you mean the only way to have done well in his class would be to be contrarian and not rip up the well, book? To, well, to be conformously contrarian, according to his wishes, you know. And I don't like that, mm. really. Not a great teacher, was he, when you look back at it? It's... <laughs> didn't really give the children much agency, did he, over their learning? <laughs> No, no, it's a great movie. Well, I mean, I'm just talking crap. So Ethan Hawke was that he started out in Dead Poets Society, but he became famous for other stuff, didn't he? Oh yeah, but let's not dwell on Ethan Hawke. He's good in this movie, certainly. He's good, yeah, yeah. He plays Ellison, and he his wife is played by Juliet Rylance. Yes, and you might think, oh, that's an interesting name. She? Uh, perhaps she's related to the actor Mark Rylance. You might think. Did that occur to you? That would require me to know who either of them were. You know Mark Rylance. He's a famous British actor. She's British as well. Whoa. Yeah, but she's not actually related to Mark Rylance, strangely. She's her, she's her, his stepdaughter. Whoa. So that's strange, right? For someone to take the same career as their step-parent. Like if there was an acting gene that Mark Rylance had, obviously she didn't have that. But maybe it's just he was able to help her out. In, in her acting, I don't know. Well, uh, it's it's a small world, isn't it? You know. Let's talk about the film. Do, let well, me just ask straight out, Paul. Did you like Sinister? Because you said <sighs> when I mentioned it to you, you said it was plodding. That was the word you used, plodding. Uh, in the end, I did like it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's by no means a bad movie. In fact, it is by pretty much all means a good movie. I just felt that some of the scenes were a little overindulgent in their execution. There's one point where there's a box that appears on the kitchen work surface or kitchen countertop, I think Americans call it. And it's after the scary stuff has happened. We're in broad daylight and we've got suspense music as he turns around the kitchen to discover a box. And they spend about 45 seconds doing it. Nothing, no Jack comes out of the box, nothing scary happens. I just thought it was, it was a, the atmosphere was a little bit too drawn out. Sometimes you just don't want all that. Okay. It was like fanfare for a Colin the Caterpillar cake. You know, it's a Colin the Caterpillar cake. We don't need a fanfare. We don't need to blow out candles for it. You know, it's it's some sloppy icing around around essentially a Swiss roll. Well, let me lay my cards on the table. You know table. what I mean? I think this is a really good movie. Oh, it's a good movie, yeah. In terms of horror movies, it's a rare... It's a rare kind of horror movie that actually, you know... Scary. It is, it is scary. I do find it a bit scary. 
even though it is quite supernatural at heart. You know, the the antagonist is a supernatural agency. You see, I don't normally have a problem with that, but I did have a problem with this one. Oh, that's interesting because, well, we'll get back into that. But I just want to say, let's compare this to The Conjuring, the other haunted house movie that we saw. Yeah. Where in The Conjuring, the story is a family move into a house. Oh, it's haunted. Yeah. Which is... Not so much lazy writing is not not writing at all. It's just whereas in this movie the story is the setup is you've got a writer of true crime. Nice, exactly. Ellison, as you say, played by Ethan Hawke, and he is going to work on a new book now on a new crime. And what he does is he moves his family into a house where the, one of the crimes he's investigating was committed, and he doesn't tell his wife and, and his kids. That's what he's doing. And that is a much more interesting setup for any horror supernatural thing. Yeah, I think so. It sets up an idea of poetic justice, doesn't it? I think. Yeah. Here, I think I think Alistair touched on it in Midsummer, which was like you know you think you're a psychologist, you think you know about human nature, but you don't do. Uh, I think that's famous in Barton Fink, which I don't think you've ever watched, Richard, have you? Where there's a writer who wants to write about humanity and ends up, I think, being strangled on a beach by a, by a crazy. Uh, sort of professional wrestler. Uh, he patently doesn't understand the workings of the mind, you think. And I think there's some idea of poetic, there's some undertow of poetic justice here. This is a man who goes in to film and discover and write about these things. So obviously, some of that's going to come back to him, you know, some, some basic idea of karma. And I think most horror movies have to have that underlying morality of vengeance. And maybe it's maybe it's unfair vengeance, you know. Maybe it's that idea of what's the uh, urban myth, you know? Don't flash back at the people that flash headlights as they're coming along uh, on a night on, on on an evening on an evening's drive because they'll turn around and come and follow you, kind of thing. It's not fair morality, but it, there is the idea of some sort of leveling vengeance, and I think yeah. you need that in a horror movie. It's a horror movie karma, isn't there? There's a yeah, horror movie karma, yeah. yeah. It's not fair, but it is there, kind of thing. And so I think it worked on that level. I, you, you kind of sense that, yeah, he's going to get it because he's been just a bit too nosy, basically. Well, he's wrapped up in his work, and it's sort of hubris, isn't it? It is, yes. He doesn't care about his family. He certainly doesn't care about his wife. Uh, he talks about his legacy, which is his, his uh, quite schlock uh, true crime publications. Uh, and his wife says, no, your children are your legacy, you know. Stop being so... Pig-headed and selfish, but that's and so for all the, all those reasons, you you know he's going to get it and he deserves to get it, kind of thing. But the film opens completely differently. It's actually a film of a film in a film, a film of oh. the crime that happens at his home, and it's an eight millimeter, very stylized image of a tree. Yes, and there are four people hanging in the tree with bags over their heads. And you don't really figure out why what's happening, but a branch falls on one side and it pulls them up or pulls pulls away what they're standing on or whatever and causes them to hang, doesn't it? So these are the people because I mean he he moves from city to city, you know, writing his next big thing, and in this one, and usually you know his wife as they as they're going there says you know this time I don't want to be three blocks down from where the murder occurred, and he's like. Don't worry, we're not three blocks down. <laughs> In actual fact, they're moving into the murder house, kind of. That's thing. right. Yeah, you see the tree. Duplicitous. You see the tree from the film in the back garden. So, sorry, before we have to correct corrections and that kind of thing for next week, 
I don't think it is eight millimeters. Is it not thirty-five mil or super eight? Super eight. Super it's eight. Super eight, isn't it? It's eight millimeters. Eight millimeters. Sure. Is it okay? I don't know. I'm, I'm saying let's correct ourselves if if necessary. But you don't think it's necessary. Look, in this film, that opening, Sorry, that yeah, opening right. sequence of that hanging. Really creepy. Did you not find? It was creepy, yeah. It's, yeah. It was creepy. First of all, it's silent. Second of all, you know, you hear the sound of the the projector. We don't understand the significance of that film at the no. start of the movie until we see the tree in the back garden and you, you realise that this must be where that happened. The story goes, he's moved into this But we place. don't see a murderer, do we? You know, it's a very creative way to kill a family. Yeah. Is, That's right. Uh, the the branch, the counterweight branch collapses or is sawn. It seems to be s- sawn in two by 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 some sort of magical saw that's in the air, and then the counterweight disappears and they, they all get hung on the other branch. Kind That's of right. So, exactly. But it was scary. You're right. It was scary. Well, it's scary partly because it's silent, partly because it's got this old filmy quality, partly because it seems voyeuristic, and also partly because, well, for me at least. You know, Super 8 should be, you know, golf, golfing holidays, bright 1970s clothes, you know, the sunshine of Florida, sepia-tinted sunshine, that kind of thing. So, and then, well, it kind of is, you know, I mean, well, until you see the people hanging in the tree, it's kind of like that, no, well, that it's, kind of that's the uh, Kodachrome. suburban idyll. That's the Kodachrome process, right? The, I think yeah. the, the film stock was processed with a particular kind of colour grading on it that, that kind of pop, made the colours pop out. In pop. Yeah. That's why all that eight millimeter stuff looks the way it does. Yeah. I think they were trying to compensate for people's poor cinematography, or they realised probably that no one would expose the uh, ah. the images properly. You know, because you, you know when you're doing movie films, they have lights like you've got in your home, don't they? They have massive lights and stuff. Yeah. And because I presume you know you've got you've got a fixed uh, exposure time and stuff on a film. And your apertures, you, you know, presumably it's quite difficult for your amateur to get, I imagine, cinematography right. So they decided to make the colours like that. So they, yeah, Kodachrome process really makes those colours pop out in quite a an mm. artificial or certainly recognisable way. It's not quite real, is it, when you see those 8mm stuff? Mm. And that's the impression that you get looking at these, uh, these little movies. These are snuff movies. They are snuff movies, yeah. yeah. So a snuff movie is a movie of a killing, typically. That's the uh, the sort of urban legends, aren't they? I think. Mm. Are there any real snuff movies? Uh, I mean, recently there have been some on Facebook, haven't there? And you're talking about the ones of ISIS killing uh, people. Those, uh, but also, you know, more like uh, for pleasure and leisure kind of thing. You know, kind of nihilistic. You've been chosen, like uh, like like the urban myths, like the urgent legends. You know, they choose somebody and then. They're publicly slaughtered to be viewed, you know. But certainly on the dark web, there's a lot of this. But are they? Re- this is the thing, isn't it? And um, uh, snuff movies were kind of the the stuff of urban legends for a long time because it's very yeah. difficult to establish whether they were real. There have been plenty of like video nasties or movies made that got the reputation for being snuff movies, but which weren't really like Cannibal Holocaust. Ah. Cannibal, huh, Cannibal Holocaust is one. Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, people. The rumor went round that that was a snuff movie. I think the the filmmaker ah. had to get the actors to come and <laughs> show themselves. No, we're still here. Exactly. Yeah, and there was a Japanese film, which the name of which I've forgotten. I might have written it down. 
that that had the same thing going on. It's like there's a series of films, uh, Japanese films, that are just like guys torturing people, and some people thought it was real, but they had to right. do a sort of making of film to demonstrate that it wasn't. But you're quite right. Not just the dark web, but ever since the internet started doing videos and stuff, and you ended up with gore sites and shock sites. Yeah. I certainly went through a phase of seeking out some of that stuff and seeing what stuff I could see. Just out of morbid curiosity, really. Um, have to say, you know, I re- there are things that I've seen that I regret that I would rather have Ooh, not yeah. seen. Yeah. And it's no joke. It's, you know, you could easily give yourself PTSD, I think, watching some of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, certainly not in this country where I am now, but in other countries where, where I've resided, uh, there isn't that sense that, that what you what you happen to see isn't your responsibility. So within groups, you know, in terms of the social media, people will send and watch gory images of gory videos of real deaths. You know, and I've I've you know unwittingly people have sent this to me in friendship groups, and I've looked at it before. I've said, hey, you know, I don't want to see any of that, and it is quite traumatizing. Whatever people say, you know, if you were to view that a hundred or a thousand times, at some point, it certainly would affect you. I think to, to and in a way that you wouldn't realise you were being affected because it blunts. I think it blunts a quite natural aversion to these to these experiences, and uh, that blunting, I think, ultimately would become a damaging a damaging trait, wouldn't it, in most people? But so yeah. well, maybe this is a stereotype I'm falling into, but. There is the impression that life is cheaper in China, and maybe they see things, you know, road accident type incidents that perhaps we don't see. Outside of relatives who've died, I don't think I've ever seen a dead, dead body. Really? Uh, have you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course, I've seen dead bodies. Uh, what, just on the road kind roads. of thing? Yeah, I've seen quite a lot of roadkill, that kind of thing. Yeah, I. I, I in real life, it's not pleasant and it is shocking. And I don't, you know, I, there's no way really to avoid processing it. But the danger we're seeing on video is that there's a distance between the event and, and 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 what it means. And I think that's the dangerous thing is you can process it as some, something that's funny when it's not kind of thing or entertaining when it's not. I didn't find the stuff so, I saw entertaining. The worst one that I saw was the the video, which is famous and was used in the court case, that uh, yeah. but it, it leaked of the two Ukrainian killers who killed a guy in the woods with hammers and stuff. Oh. Yeah, it's horrific. But... I thought you were going to say it was two women, one cup. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Well, two girls, one cup. Two girls, one cup. Do you remember when the YouTube just started kind of thing? I think that was... Or the Facebook started. Wasn't that the thing that was going around? I was like, wow, isn't this amazing? Two girls, one cup. Hey, we can all view... Well, it's the same kind of dare yourself to see it kind of thing, isn't it? I mean, these days, would anybody want to watch that? No. I mean, you know, the thing about that is they're obviously having fun, aren't they? (laughs) Well, I hope it's not real. It's obviously not real. but... But that's what Sinister is doing, though. It's hooking in to a really primal fear that people have, or this this knowledge of snuff movie kind of mythology. Yeah. Because the movie contains four or five different snuff movie sections. All very creatively. Yeah. Engineered the, the ways that people die. You know, lots of planning have gone into it. But, but we should perhaps explain the plot. So he's moved into this house. It, it's the site of this yes. grisly murder that he's obviously read about. Of this, And he's not telling his wife about. This family who got hung. 
the local sheriff's office are not too welcoming. No. Understandably. Right. He's a famous crime writer. They think that he's... And he usually writes bad things about the, the police. Exactly. They think that he's going to do a hatchet job on their police policing works, abilities. Yeah. Yeah. He goes up into the attic and he finds the box. That's why the box was significant in the kitchen, pool. It's the same box, isn't it? He finds the box in ah. the attic and he, he, he looks in it and it's full of Super 8 can film canisters and a projector. So what do you do? Well, you, you put some in the projector and watch it, don't you? I mean, and it's got very domestic names, hasn't it? Like barbecue and something to do with being outside, of, you know, yeah. outside by the tree or something. I don't know. But he's curious, isn't he? He takes this box downstairs and... Who wouldn't be? He sets up a little... In his office that he keeps the family away because it's full of true crime crap. He sets up a makeshift screen with a sheet... And he somehow threads his projector. It's difficult to do that. I don't know how he figured it out. Maybe he was used to it. He starts playing the films and he sees the hanging one straight away. And immediately, yeah. of course, he realises what this is. He's in the same house. He knows what this is straight away. So, And obviously it's gold mine, gold dust. It's, it's just the most amazing thing for a crime, a, a crime writer to find. Right? It's nuggets of gold, isn't it, basically? Yeah. So he plays some of the other films. And as he does this, uh, he's, he starts to notice in some of the films, which are all grisly uh, snuff movies of murders taking place. I think one of them is family tied up in the back of a car in a garage. And, mm-hmm. and the camera person is throwing like accelerant on the car and then sets fire to it and burns the family. Don't they? And then there's another God. one where... It takes place at night around a pool, and the family are tied up in lawn chairs and pool lounges. That was very inventive, yeah. Yeah, and they've got ropes on the back, and he pulls them one after the other head first, and they're all sort of weighted down so that they fall to the bottom of the pool. Horrific. Oh, awful way to go. Not that painful, I'm told, drowning, actually. How would you know? No one's come back from it, Paul. If you die, you're dead. No one can tell you. Mm. That's a bit like what they said about... People having their head chopped off in the French Revolution, isn't it? <laughs> I imagine that's really painful, actually. Uh, at least temporarily. Well, there were, there were reports of heads responding to their name, like seconds after. Oh, my I know. God. Horrific. Please stop. <laughs> um, so, anyway, yeah, go on. So you were saying... There's, well, he starts uh, seeing in the film... Snuff after snuff movie. Yeah. He sees... Well, first of all, he sees a, a particular symbol. An occult symbol, scribe like a pentagram, but not quite a pentagram. Yeah, like a, a what? What are those Japanese stars called? Nunchakers. Shuriken. Nunchakers. Shuriken. Yeah. Why do we call them nunchakers? Because nunchakers <laughs> are the two sticks with a chain between. Them. That's right. So, yeah. Sorry. And you hit yourself in the bollocks with, presumably. <laughs> so it looks a bit like a pentagram or a shooting star kind of thing, or a Japanese throwing star. But he also starts seeing a face in the films. And it's mm-hmm. a very strange... It wasn't there before, seemingly. Maybe not. As it transpires. But yeah, so it's all scary. It's all scary as hell. And in the meantime, like, the scorpions appearing in the attic. There's a snake appears in the attic at one point as well. Kid, baby, baby boys freaking out and sleeping in weird places, like in the bedding box and out in the garden. Daughter is freaking out and drawing crap on the walls. of Hung people and people dying, you know. Kid is getting sent back from school for doing whatever he did at school, drawing 
obscene stuff about death on the on the on the on the blackboard or whiteboard. It's with permanent marker of all things. So so yeah, it's all going on. And Mum is catches on, doesn't she? She realizes what's going on, mm. and she has a. She's like, we're gonna get out of yeah, here. She's pretty angry. And he's who would it be? He's spoken to some kind he's been of lying to her. He's spoken to some kind of occult expert about the symbol, oh. hasn't he? And he gets that's he right. He gets a yeah. call back and told that this is the sort of demon Bagul. We'll get onto that actually in, in a second, if that's all right. What I would say is interesting. Two thousand and twelve, he uses what I would now call you know older, older relatives methods of sharing video, like uh, <laughs> like. Uh, if you if you're on any like lo- local Facebook group, which essentially some of them are neighborhood watch and some of them are to sell sell you know old drawers and old bicycles, but if you're on any local neighborhood group for where you live, you'll understand what I mean. It's like when the older people say, "There's a robber at my house last night. Here's a CCTV from my ring," and they don't publish the ring file yeah. and upload it. They take. <laughs> they put the ring footage on their computer, they video the, the ring footage, then they upload their, if you like, screen grab, their live screen grab of what they could have just uploaded and put it on the computer. He does something very similar, which is something we wouldn't do now in 2021. Yeah, but you'd have to, wouldn't you? Because You'd have to back then. No, yeah, but yeah. even now, it's an 8mm film. There's no... How do you, how do you digitise them? You have to just point. point. No, no. I think it was already digitized on the computer, and then he was like taking a photo with the computer screen. Oh, yeah, to send to somebody. Which I think, you know, back in the old days, you know, we used to send emails to ourselves, and it was the quickest way of sending ourselves files, wasn't it? Rather than, rather than what do you do now? What's the thing that's come after Bluetooth? Well, you drop, you drop, airdrop, Apple drop or something, airdrop. It's useless. But why not just upload it to whatever cloud you're part? Well, that's that's the modern way. Yeah. This is not a way, isn't it? You know, it's like uh, to give you access to my cloud or whatever, whichever cloud. That's you're right. On, you don't need to transfer it between devices. You just give, you share it, and mm. give access. Yeah. Where, where the hell were we? Yeah. So it's it's getting pretty scary. I don't know what point it becomes scary. Like at what point it becomes creepy scary? Well, there are points where he starts being disturbed at night. One of them is when he finds his son, isn't it? But he starts going around the house, and this is where we get jump scares, isn't it? It's scary from the start. It's scary from the off. This cl- this film, Paul, actually has a claim to being the scariest film, full stop. No! No! Well, I, I realise really? this is a hopelessly subjective thing to say, but I read on its IMDb page that there'd been some kind of experiment where scientists had hooked people up to, you know, sensors, and heart rate monitors and stuff like that, and they'd shown 20 different scary films to people, and of all of them, this was the one that provoked the most fear response. I mean, it was scary. There's no doubt about that. But I, I wouldn't say it was terror. Like, it wasn't... I, there was no point where I had to put put the device down and stop watching and turn the lights on and go and check underneath my bed kind of thing. Put the device down. What, you're watching on your phone? Sure something. Tiny little screen. I was watching on my You phone. need to be watching on a big screen, don't no, you? I'll tell you? No, I'll tell you why. Because on my big screen, I had it all the brightness all the way up. But on the on the laptop or desktop version of Netflix, there's no toggle for brightness, and I couldn't see a lot of it. This is a problem with a lot of Netflix stuff. It's it's made for made for TV screens, not laptop screens. You see, huh. a lot of this was shot in twilight. Whilst it, whilst 
that would show up on a TV screen. It doesn't show up on a computer monitor. But on my mobile, you've got that. You can ratchet up the old brightness thing to beyond the brightness settings on your mobile. And then a lot of the kind of twilight scenes were, I could actually see things other than just pitch black. So that's why I watched it on my mobile. Okay, I'll let you off. So yeah, so one thing for Netflix is, you know, think about, particularly younger users, they often don't watch on TV screens. You know, is your user experience, is it mobile friendly? Not always. Sure, but... Well, it is in terms of Netflix. It's not laptop friendly always, I don't think. It's scary from the start because the snuff movies are scary. Yes. It's scary because he ends up wandering around the house and strange things are happening. Uh, There are some jump scares. Now, I know we've said that jump scares are a bit cheap, but, you know, in a a well-made horror, I think it's perfectly fine that they... If there aren't too many of them, you're not necessarily expecting them. They're they're quite good. The suspense that came with the jump scares I thought was quite well done. It does build up quite well. Uh, the background music uh, uh, particularly helps build the tension. The music. Now, that that driving music is bo- is a Boards of Canada track. I think it's called Gyroscope, the particular one that you hear through this music. And that track is another element that's really creepy because it uses samples of number stations. Ah. You know what a number station is? No. Oh, my God. Paul. So, a number station <laughs> is... Something you hear what the fuck's a number on the shortwave bands. Uh, now, I should say, I used to listen to these when I was a AM. Shortwave AM band, yeah. Shortwave particularly, and this is important for number stations, because particularly at night, when the atmospheric la- la- layers change their altitude, the ionosphere, I think, becomes it becomes possible to bounce radio signals off the ionosphere, and you can get way oh. over the horizon. So shortwave radio can be transmitted a very long way. I think I think globally, but certainly semi-globally, if not, yeah. as a consequence of the atmospheric conditions. And I think it's um, I think it's more at night, or the range changes from day to night because of the thermal properties of those different layers. Yeah. So what a number station is, and if you haven't heard them, we might have to stop and listen. Right. You twiddle the shortwave dial, and between all of the other stations, normal stations and radio and chat and stuff, hmm. you'll hear just a woman's voice quite often um, saying numbers. Seven, five, four, eleven, five. Yeah. Like that, on and on. Or sometimes in repeating groups. Some of them have short idents, which could be some recognisable sound. One of the most famous ones is... A, a sort of a really distorted recording of a music called the Lincolnshire Poacher. And it plays a few bars of that, and then you hear a series of numbers. And you've never heard any of these, Paul? I've, had, I've heard the weather, weather forecast on Radio 4. It sounds pretty similar. similar. Kind of freaky and uh, kind of uh, surreal, the weather report. For, for the fishing Is it the fishing weather report they do every night? It's the shipping forecast, isn't it? Shipping forecast, yeah, that's freaky. It has a lot of similar qualities to that, yeah, these broadcasts. What do you think, from my description of them, what would your guess be as to what they're about? Espionage. They are, exactly. No, you're exactly right. So, if you want to communicate with your agents in the field, before the internet, particularly in the Cold War, let's say. No way, come on. What you do is your intelligence service sets up a transmitter somewhere. Your agents are given 
some by some a time to a time to listen in. They're given a one-time pad, a one-time key, which is usually on rice paper or flash paper. Rice paper is obviously you can just eat it. Flash paper is the stuff magicians use that wow. just burns to nothing very quickly. And that uh, that key that they've got is how they decode the numbers. And they're just told the frequency and the time to listen at. They write down the numbers and they use their one-time key to decode it. And a one-time sure. pad, as you may be aware from your cryptography understanding, is unbreakable. So as long as the particularly if 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 you if you're in knowledge of the time and location and nobody else is, I mean, come on, it's it's virtually it's so secure, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Well, it's provably a, a true one-time pad gener- generated with a random key is mathematically provably unbreakable. Because if you think about it, if there's no repeat in the key, precisely, yeah, then you could decode any message, any ciphertext to any message with an appropriate algorithm or appropriate key, as it were. It's provably unbreakable. That's how most amateurs using code or conspiracy code, like you know, non non professional, you know, espionage people are professionals. But like, typically, you know, if you're in a pub and you want to you want to talk about somebody who's there, you might say, "Well, look at that picture." You might be talking about the picture, but actually talking about the people next to you, you know, that kind of thing that people get paranoid, you know, and go to the doctor like, I was thinking people in the pub were talking about the picture, were talking about me. Yes, people do that, you know, we all do that kind of thing where we, we use some referent object and uh, use it to talk about somebody, somebody or something else. Now, the way to break those things is to show suspicion, and often people will stop the coding at that point. Huh. And there, you've got, it's the break in the coding. I mean, if you continue using coding, it's pretty much unbreakable. But at the point you've got a transition boundary between coding and non-coding, at that point, it's very easy to break, is it not? So it's knowing the timing of when the coding is occurring that makes it breakable, I think. So I used to listen to number stations. But the point is, Richard, did you ever have anybody at pub talk about a picture without just talking about no, you? No, Paul. It's never occurred to me. Uh, <laughs> I guess well, it's a- the doctor said that I, the doctor said that it was quite a reasonable <laughs> assumption on my part. <laughs> he said, just come this way. I'll give you medication. You're not paranoid if people are out to get no, you. That's no. the thing, isn't it? It's, it's just a rational belief at that point, not paranoia. Hey, I never said it was conspiracy. I said it was collusion. It's different. different. That's why I'm not going to the hospital, thank you. But yeah, when I was a kid, I, I was talking to you before the Sorry. podcast, wasn't it? Where were we? I, I used to, my mum used to live with her parents, so, you know, my grandparents' ah. house. And my granddad had a hi-fi unit. Combined harvester. A hi-fi unit. A what? A hi-fi. Oh. You know, a turntable, a cassette, and a radio all built. Was into. it a 70s or 80s? Was it a 60s, 70s or 80s one? A 70s one. But it wasn't. Oh, so it wasn't quite compact, but not very. It wasn't compact. a stacked one. No, it was more like in a, a sideboard. Side yeah. yeah, they were very stylish. So I used to twiddle the uh, radio dial and listen to all kinds of things. I was particularly keen on Piccadilly Radio and Timmy Mallet and stuff. But I used yeah. to go. I used to venture into the shortwave, and you'd hear all these weird things. And it turns out, wow. you know, there are enthusiasts who listen, and will log down whenever they find one of these number stations. And they're, a, a, they're an open secret, right? And the whole point about them is, particularly in an era before the internet, it's a way of reaching all your agents in a completely unbreakable way. And yeah. even though everyone can pick them up on their transmitters, and presumably all the intelligence agencies are trying to figure out where they are, you can find out where the transmitters are, I suppose. But there's no way of breaking their messages. But no one will admit to them. 
So governments, no government has ever said... The great thing about this is they're very cheap to produce, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. So if you want to confoodle or confobble your, your, your opponent, you just produce more of this stuff. And of course, it's only going to be used once in a blue moon anyway. But if you've got 35 channels of it and they've got to listen and decipher all of it or try to break all of it, well, you've just... It's like, you know, Reagan's attempt to provoke the Soviets into a, into a, into a, a, a space war race, wasn't it? It was to force them into... Pro- spending more on their military to destroy the Soviet economy. Some of them, people are pretty sure, must be government agencies. The point being is you can triangulate where the transmitters are and people have inferred what agencies must be behind them. But also, of course, Ah. as you say, it's quite cheap to do this. So presumably non-government agencies might also be using these things. And it's suspected that... You know, like drug cartels and criminal organisations might use it as well. Of course. Yeah. In the same way that, you know, South American cartels have been building submarines for a while, which you'd think couldn't happen, but does. So there are real no mystery, way. real modern mystery. And there's, I think there still exist. There's a website you can go to, which maybe I'll put in the show notes. There's a website you can use where you can log on to a web a page and you get access to a radio receiver. And you can use... Because I, I don't really have a shortwave radio in my house anymore. But you can use this radio receiver on a web page and tune to the shortwave buttons. And it's got all of these logs where people have found different kinds of stations. Some of them normal radio stations. Some of them number stations. Anyway, all of which is to say number stations are creepy. Let's get back to this movie, Richard. Yeah. It's fascinating, but... So, Oh, one quick plug. Okay, if you do want to listen to radio stations around the world, go to radio.garden.com. Fascinating. It has like every single, many, many radio stations, nearly every radio station from around the world on a map. That's right, yeah. You just click anywhere on the map, it'll show you the local radio. Great. Anyway, Boards of Canada, that soundtrack with that track, with the the number stations in it, that also makes it creepy because number stations, I've got to tell you, are really creepy. They're creepy, yeah. So, when did we start to realise the twist here? Well, pretty much after Deputy So-and-so, uh, an officer, is co-opted into the work that uh, Ethan Hawke's character is doing, because he's a fanboy of Ethan Hawke's work, and he will get info on the cases, the snuff movies that uh, Ethan has seen, uh, in return for getting a mention in the forthcoming book. So... So when do we find out about these snuff movies and their origin? Well, pretty soon, I think. And it turns out that there's always one kid in the family that isn't murdered and has gone missing. You know, somehow there are survivors that have been abducted or taken away. And there's no accounting for where those kids are. So here's a twist coming in the movie. And it kind of, it pivots on this twist, doesn't it, the movie? And he also learns, I think, that there is a sequence that... People have like moved house between the uh, yes. different places where the uh, killings occurred. Deputy so and so helps him with that. It's like, yeah, the next time to die, die at the point that they move away from the house that they were previously living in. The house they were previously living in was the was the house of the previous family that died. So it's like a there's a continuous chain connecting old residents with new residents. And then, you know, the next time they move into the newest residence where a murder has occurred, they will be okay until they move away again. And then they will set up a new location for their next 
the next gruesome snuff snuff murder. So, so pretty much all the jigsaw pieces start to fall in place. And there's an extremely scary or creepy sequence where Ethan Hawke is awake at night, and he now we now see the boogeyman. Before that, we see the kids, don't we? Those missing kids we do. appear, yeah, behind him. <laughs> yeah, they're very they're very good at like appearing in the shadows because it's not the, the viewer that's being scared. It's kind of scary because like you know they're not going to jump out at you. They're about to jump out at him, but they don't do. They just hide in the shadow and then disappear. Again. Well, it has that quality. Nicely done. That what, Particularly when you've watched a scary film, but you know when you're keyed up and when you're feeling a bit scared, you have that yeah. sensation that there's something just out the corner of your eye all the time, don't you? You can do. Yeah. You know, shadow moves or look over there, was that, you know, or in the dim light where you think you might see a face or something. It has that same quality to it in that he's not, he's not seeing them. You know, he turns around and they've just that second gone round the corner or through the doorway. Uh, it's really cleverly done. It's, be- it's a sort of beautifully choreographed a bit of horror theatre in a way. But then, of course, we're at the point where they're going to have to get out of there. They've decided that things are too bad and Ethan Hawke, pack- you know, he tells his family to pack pack everything up. We're getting out of here. Not before the boogeyman has appeared in his laptop on... Videos where previously the boogeyman wasn't. Oh, there there's before. that amazingly scary moment where mm. uh, he's got an image up of of the the of Bagul, the boogeyman as they call it, on his laptop. And he does he take a call? He turns away and he's speaking. And yeah. in the background, you see the face of Bagul turn to look at him. It's really, that's really <laughs> scary. You can imagine people. So that's re- that's really scary, yeah. And it seems that the boogeyman is actually V for, Ven- v for Vendetta doing a cameo in this movie. Yeah, he's got very similar. He's got very sort of post Slenderman, yeah, mask like yeah. face. It's a bit like the guy in Saw as well, isn't he? So then there's a growling dog and a boogeyman outside in the garden, and uh, Ethan sees a boogeyman and then finds his son in the bushes. He's obviously getting to understand. This is all weird and supernatural at the same time. And the wife just froke out. She froke out completely, didn't she? Yeah. You know, I mean, she's like, let's get on the bus. Let's get out of town straight away if we can. Yeah. And who wouldn't? I'd freak out too. The problem is that they're fulfilling the chain, aren't they? Just as all the other families. Now they're moving out of this house. They're going to this new house. By giving into the fear, the fear eats them. You know, if they just stay put, they'd be all right. You know, it'd just be scary. But he he tried to burn those Super 8 snuff movies, hadn't he? Despite oh. the fact that he burnt them, the box reappears with them all in again. Was that, was that the yeah. thing that you saw in the kitchen? I'm not sure. But now the expert in hieroglyphics is going to tell us about this. But let's 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 break away to Bagul. Now, in the Old Testament, there are two ver- there are two names for God, aren't there? Yahweh anyway, and Yahweh and the other and the other, yeah. Uh, one of which is supposed to be apocryphally based on a Babylonian deity. Now, Bagul is none of those things. Bagul is a completely invented. It's invented, deity yeah. The, 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 for the purpose of this yeah, movie, yeah. Uh, which is quite nice, quite cool in a way that they don't try and lumber themselves with the history. Hereditary did a different thing and did it well enough, I suppose. But the problem with biblical stuff is it's all batshit, batshit bonkers, and it would. I think it would really detract, you know. Yeah, like all the monsters in uh, Revelation are all nonsense, aren't they? Like s- seven-bladed swords or whatever, and three and a half-headed animals. I mean, it, it makes no sense. 
But there is a vague connection with the Bible here because Bagul, in the film verse that's presented, is brother of Moloch, who is actually, I think, a real Canaanite deity mentioned in the Bible and is co-linear with Baal in the Judeo-Christiano tradition. Uh, that's technical details are beside the point. Let's get on to the etymology of boogeyman and bogeyman and bugbear and bugaboo. All these words are actually the same word. Uh, Middle English bogger, uh, which actually means scarecrow. Also, it's the same word as Shakespeare's puck. This is interesting because I had heard that the word boogeyman came from a Singapore. Because it does, but we can't attest that they're separate or similar etymologies. But the you know the non-Asian version of it has been around way before we knew about Singapore. And it's actually bogeyman, bugbear, and bugaboo, and bogey, which means scared. Because there's a street uh, called Bugis Street, Puck Bugis Street in uh, Singapore. There is. We think the we think the popularity of the Asian word is influenced by the popularity of bogeyman, but that it had separate origins because it's in Malaysia, it's it's in Singapore, and it's all around that kind of area. So yeah, so uh, little little knowledge break there. Let's get back to the movie. So yeah, wife says let's get out of town, and guess what? They head out of town, don't they? They're out of there. They go to a new place where. In fulfilment. Not before they're stopped by the... Yeah, uh, by the, the police show, sort they? of uh, usher them out, don't they? And encourage them to leave. Now, do they get out before they've been told by the, Bab- the expert on Babylonian history that Bagul was activated when people saw his image or his representation? Yeah, that's the thing about this bad guy, isn't it? Is that he seems to exist in the films. He exists in the and films. He, yeah. The children that disappeared... It turns out that he somehow possesses them or gets them to kill. When they watch the films. So we see at the end, don't we, the extended versions of the snuff movies, which now have a sort of extra bit tagged on. And each of those extra bits reveal that it was the, the kid, the missing kid, that perpetrated the murders. In the Hangings case, for instance, it turns out a little girl was up the tree with a very a long, one of those long-handled saws cutting the branch, then she comes down the tree and drops a saw, and all of the other murders, like the pool, it was the camera person was the kid pulling their family, you know, to their death in the pool, and there's another one with a lawnmower where she rides over the people in with a lawnmower. So this is a weird thing. It's like they're not murdered in a supernatural way, but the kids then become supernatural. That's right. And there's a supernatural effect where they've seen the... They've Obviously, the kids have found the footage of the previous movie, invoke the spirit of Boogaloo by watching, by watching, and he's inhabited them. And then it's only activated in them when they move house kind of thing, you know. So for me, this is the biggest problem. Is like there's a real and there's the uh, the hyper real sorry the supernatural going on at the same time and in, in a really weird collusion that i thought was quite contrived you know like you see a representation of him as an image and he comes to life kind of thing i think that's a very modern idea right it's a very modern horrary idea it's almost straight yeah. out of doctor who or sapphire and steel it's the- i found it a little less frightening when they put this is probably it became less frightening for me was i didn't really want to Want to accept or, or 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 believe this 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 plot device? So I understand that. But before then, it was really scary. I, I kind of agree with you. Again, it mm. the supernatural element is almost unnecessary in this film. It mm. was scary enough, scary as fuck, when some kind of weird 
serial killer type thing is going on. Yes, it would have been scary if it was all real, I think. Speaking again about really horrific films and things that have scarred you, the the the, the hanging one that it starts off with, to my yeah. mind, is the best of those snuff movie movieettes. Have you ever heard of the, the Russian scout leader serial killer? It's a famous, famous no, true crime no. thing. So it, he was a, a scout leader. He, what he used to do, he, was a, he would get boys in his scout troop to volunteer to be filmed. And he would tell them he was going to recreate some of the torture that the Nazis used to do on their victims. And what he would do, he, was, he would en- enact with them, them being hung. So he would hang a rope from a tree with the camera running on them and the boys would go up a stepladder or whatever and he'd put the rope around the neck and he'd kick the ladders away or whatever. And they would do this willingly because they thought it was cool to be in a film or something. I, didn't, I don't think that they all died, but some of them did. Some of them would die, I don't know whether it was accidentally. He was obviously getting off on this. You know, he would... The ones that ended up unconscious, he would arrange in suggestive poses and do stuff with, I think. But some of them did die, and he had to get rid of the bodies. And some of these films exist because, again, you know, he recorded this crime. And you can see some of them. I don't know how much you see. Uh, I'm not really inclined to watch them, but I think I have seen ones where I don't think the kid died. But, you know, it's very eerie and weird to watch what a serial killer you know, enacting this thing, this play acting with these kids who didn't had no idea what was going to happen. And of course, the ones who ended up unconscious had no memory of the kind of abuse that they suffered. Uh. So, and it's got a very similar quality to it, to the hanging that you see, as, as far as I can recall. So th- this all adds to this whole urban legendy but real kind of snuff movie mystique that this film captures really well. And it, it's marrying that, though, with this supernatural thing, which, again, is a, there's a very uh, post-internet kind of horror that occurs called uh, Creepypasta. That's where the Slender Man comes from. But the idea that, you know, these malevolent forces can come out of your screen is, is an obviously yes. very internet-y thing, isn't it, for all these people reading these stories on the, on the internet. <laughs> you can see what they're trying to do, and I agree with you that I don't so much like the supernatural elements. It was kind of unnecessary. But of all the supernaturally horror movies we've watched, this is by far the best and certainly the scariest. So for that reason, I think we should do the scores, Paul. Let's do the scores. Why on earth not? Okay, well, <laughs> script. How do you feel about the script to the hero, Richard? It was, pretty, it was pretty taut and pretty tight. It moved along in a fair old pace. I'm going to score it eight. You said it was plodding. Okay, so you relented on your plodding no, I, no, I, I meant elements of the scare factor with the music and the way that music that was highly, you know, it was building up to a lot of tension, led up to quite a trivial event, like a box being on a kitchen table. It's overused, I thought, and therefore it made it kind of feel very slow. The fact that they were putting all these dramatic elements into something that wasn't that dramatic, like I say, you know, it was a big unveil, fireworks for a, for for a Colin the Caterpillar cake kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? The only thing you might say about this film is it's a bit overdone. It's a bit serious, except there was one funny bit <laughs> where he's heard something in the attic, and he calls the deputy in to have a, to help him because he thinks there's something in the attic, right? Yeah. I think they figured out it was a snake at some point. And the deputy says, 
Snakes don't have feet. <laughs> have feet. You won't be able to hear them. No, he said, and then he says, maybe you've got no, he squirrels. Talks about squirrels. Uh, old scorpions. There was a scorpion. He said, oh, they've got small they do feet. Have feet yeah. but you wouldn't be able to hear them. <laughs> that was quite funny. I, I'll give the script eight. It was good. You know, a very taut. Uh, moved along nicely. Where there were twists, you expected them, but not too much. So yeah, no big problems. I'm going to go better than that. I'll give it an eight point five. I thought it was a great story it was well written and believable this is a classic movie in the making if you ask me how about the acting then well I'm a big fan of Ethan and I'm going to score it 6 for that reason but I, I thought apart from Star Factor there wasn't much good acti- acting here that was anything to, from middling to above average So six you, weren't, you weren't a fan of the kids the creepy kids acting what about the boy when he's doing those weird when he's asleep in that weird pose? The boy was good, but I didn't like his hair. Like his hair. Okay. So, are you going to call me racist? No, I don't think that's racist. I'll give no. I'll give the acting uh, <laughs> I'll give the acting a seven. Uh, you know, it's a horror movie. Okay. Yeah. In a sense, it's all big, and Ethan Hawke plays it very straight and subdued, doesn't he? Most of it. So. Okay. What about jump scares? Or Fright Factor, whatever you want to There's call no this. There's no question this movie is frightening. Scary, yeah. So for that, I'm going to give it an 8, maybe a 9. It was scary. I'm going to give it a 7. Okay. Finally, effects and action, whatever you want to call it. The interesting thing about this film is it's not a gore splatterfest. There's very little no. blood. I mean, there's a bit. It's a horror movie. But you don't... Even the snuff movies, you very rarely see anything. I think that's to its credit. I think they were going for a PG rating or something. Not not the rating they ended up getting. Mm. But but I think that's just because it's way, way too scary for a kid to see, right? <laughs> it is scary. But what What is good is, again, the, those 8mm films, beautifully produced pieces of, you know, fake footage. Amazing. So for that, yeah. I'm going to give it an 8. You could definitely invest yourself in this movie, you know, like the the, the found footage, the, the Super Apes footage. When the boogeyman does appear, he does like a classic double jump scare at one point, you know, the, the kids are going shh, and then he appears on screen. Sorry, the, the haunting kids, are, you know, telling telling somebody to be quiet, you know, shh, and then he appears on screen, and then suddenly he's out of the screen in front of somebody's yeah. face. You know, all these lulls in the uh, in in the in the action. The pacing is good. Right? Therefore, I think what effects and what action they use, you know, there's not much wasted. Pretty much all the flour has been put into the pie, and so so yeah, I've got to score it high on this effect. SFX, a, a solid seven, I think. Nice. So overall, this for me has been the best horror movie we've seen so far, and one of the best horror movies I think. I, I'm going to give it a nine. Do you know, I, I scored it 6.5 before, but now, listening to you, you've convinced me to upscore it to 7.5. It, it, it was good, but I think it's actually quite... It's almost very good. But I'm, yeah, I'm not as much of a fan as you are of this movie, Richard. But still, I definitely recommend. This is one that will get your adrenaline pumping. Even if you've had two or three too many beers, you know, this is something that will wake you up because it's pretty <laughs> scary. Amen. I'll tell you the scariest thing about this that I read as well. You won't like this. The images that I keep talking about of the hanged family... Yeah. The family that was hanged on the tree were all played by stuntmen. However, when the scene was first done, the stunt coordinator botched the preparations and the and this resulted in the actors being legitimately hanged and choked. No. Fortunately, they survived and the coordinator was fired. <laughs> what? I know. Cursed film, eh? It's like all the good horror movies. It's got this legendary curse status as well. 
There is a Sinister 2. I don't think I've seen it, but I want to. I think I'm, I may check it out. But I'm. They did quite well. Also, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical that the sequel will really pull pull it off as well as this one. I think it will lack a lot of the shock factor. What movie should we watch for the next episode? That's a good question. Are you going to give me choices? Well, I could give you the choices of Creep, which I keep suggesting. That's from about six years ago, yeah? 2014, I think, Creep. Or we could go for... Sorry to put you on the Another one-word title, Climax. Oh, well, I'm definitely going to go with Creep, because I know something about it. Oh, okay. Well, Creep is creepy, as we will see, I think, next week. If you come back to Drive By Cinema. Until then, it's time for the music in, in three, three, two, two, two one. one.